Welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by predictive content analytics software, Inbound Writer, and online proofing and collaboration platform, ProofHQ. Now here are your hosts, from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Sysimos, Amber Nasland. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. Today, we're really excited. We are joined by Jason Miller of LinkedIn. Amber, would you like to go ahead and introduce Jason? I love Jason Miller. He's actually officially the senior content manager, uh, marketing manager at LinkedIn Marketing Solutions, which I'm really glad I don't have to write that whole thing on my business card. Um, but more importantly, he's the author of a really kick butt book called Welcome to the Funnel, Proven Tactics to Turn Your Social and Content Marketing Up to 11, which you can find over at welcometothefunnel.com. So Jason Miller, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for that warm introduction. And thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I am so excited to talk to you because I actually haven't had a chance to connect with you since this book came out. So can you tell all of the Content Pros audience kind of what your book's about and why you decided to write it? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, it's just kind of over the past few years, uh, you know, I've always taken my, my love of rock and roll and kind of infused it with, with content marketing lessons, social media lessons, and, and it's kind of resonated, right? So uh, um, I decided to take the two, uh, combine my love of rock and roll and, and, and you know, uh, B2B marketing into, into a book and have a little bit of fun with it uh, and make it very quick. There's no fluff. It's very direct. It's a quick read, uh, but it's pretty much everything I learned uh, at, while I was at Marketo, all the way up to LinkedIn, about how to really, um, you know, drive revenue, drive actual results, um, and, and pipeline uh, from using uh, a combination of B2B and social, a little SEO and PR, and bringing it all together, bringing it all back home. It's like I, I like to call it. Well, I'm going to start with one thing that is tied to rock and roll, mm. and I think it's a story that resonates a little with you. There may be some passion, but if I recall. You're also a rock and roll photographer, and let's talk about permissions with content and who owns content. Because I know that you take a lot of pictures at shows, and you love to provide them to bands that you're fan, a fan of. And one of those bands happened to use one of your photos, and I'll let you take the story from here. But if you can kind of connect that to who owns content and how the permissions roles are playing out. Uh, I know the story you're talking about, and, and unfortunately, this happens all the time. So, you know, I, I'm, uh, I fell into the content photography space and became obsessed with it very quickly. Um, but, you know, when I go out and, and I have full credentials and I have full uh, press credentials and, and, um, and rights to take these photos, and depending on the band, uh, it, it, you know, if, if, if they don't ask me to sign a rights agreement prior to me shooting them, then I own the, the content. But, you know, it just, it, it really depends. Uh, it's an artist by artist situation. So, you know, uh, I, I shot Roger Waters on the, on the uh, wall tour uh, from Pink Floyd, and he came out and told the photographers, he said, if you can make money off these photos, please do. He's totally cool about it. But then, you know, a band like my favorite band on the planet, The Cult, uh, they have an agreement where you have to sign this away and you can post the photos one time and then you're done with it. You know, a very similar tool has a very similar policy. But, you know, I mean, literally nine times out of ten, it's basically go shoot the show uh, and then just, you know, promote us. You know, make us look good. In the words of uh, Russell from Almost Famous, just make us look cool, man. You know, I mean, that's that's what the bands want. And um, there's it's, it's a hobby for me. There's not there's not a whole lot of money in rock and roll photography, but you know I sell a few photos here and there. But again, I do it for the love of music. I do it because I love to. I only shoot bands that I that I like, 
So it's easy for me to um, you know, to support these bands. And if, if an artist emails me and wants a photo, you know, I usually work something out pretty pretty quickly with them. So when it comes to, let's take it to the corporate context for a minute. Um, let's say you're a company and you're producing all sorts of really great um, content that's based on intellectual property and all of your smart people in your organization. What do you think companies and content marketers need to know about the balance between sharing and giving lots away and making sure that you're protecting the things that you're really good at um, and the information that's kind of special and important to your company? Well, I, I think, you know, I think you have to find a balance, right? I mean, there's a balance between content curation and, and creating your own content. But, uh, I mean, in this day and age, we're in, that, you know, we're in, the, in, in the world of, of create content and give it away for free. Uh, and, and, unfortunately, it's, it's almost impossible to monitor <laughs> who takes that content and uh, what they do with it. Uh, I mean, you know, it's funny. When I was at Marketo, we, and we would create the definitive guides, the definitive guide to market automation, you know, whichever we might have done at the time. Uh, it's the same principle I brought over here with the sophisticated marketers guide to LinkedIn. Uh, we would find those, uh, <laughs> we would find those PDFs on sale on Amazon, uh, and we didn't put them up there. And I would have to contact these people. And the guy, I mean, literally, I've gotten messages from people that said, um, "Who are you to tell me what I can or can't sell?" I'm like, uh, I'm the author of that of that free piece of content. So, <laughs> Uh, it, it, it's really, I mean, it's interesting to do a search on, on a very specific, you know, a title uh, or a giant, we call it big rock pieces of content. Um, but again, you know, just like, you know, the rock and roll photography, I mean, I watermark everything I do. Uh, just like as a content marketer, we put um, our brand on it and we put tracking codes to track every single piece of content we put out there, as a good marketer should. So, um Again, you know, it's top of funnel stuff. It's a lot of the stuff is top of funnel. A lot of it's not gated. So uh, I think you just need to find a nice balance between um, the two, but not have expect, but but set your expectations that there are people out there looking to, you know, manipulate manipulate your content and and probably uh, use it for uh, for self gain without your um, approval. And and that's just part of the that's just part of the process. So another thing we've talked about on several episodes, Jason, is repurposing content and taking a bigger piece of content, getting the most run out of that. And you've been involved with one of my favorite pieces, and it was actually an analogy of comparing content to Thanksgiving. So could you talk to that a little bit and how you view um, distributing your content and chunking it into smaller pieces? Yeah, it's funny that... um that concept, uh, it's funny how that came about because when I was first getting started at, at Marketo, um, I was a huge fan of, of Rebecca Lee and the Altimeter Group. And so she was at Ad Tech or some event here in San Francisco. And I reached out and I said, hey, can I interview you for the Marketo blog? I've literally been at Marketo for like two weeks. And to be honest with you, I didn't really know what I was doing, uh, <laughs> which is interesting. So I would interview these experts and I would ask them questions that I had about, about being a better marketer. And so I asked Rebecca, I said, what do you tell uh, these businesses or, or brands uh, who say they don't have enough content to fuel their demand gen or their social or whatnot. And she says, I tell them to think of their content like things. Well, t first off, look around at the content you have, and then think of your content like Thanksgiving uh, dinner, right? So uh, Thanksgiving, you have this giant, big, big, beautiful turkey, and and what do you do for the next 30 days? Well, you, you're slicing and dicing this turkey in the turkey stew, turkey sandwiches. You, you're making things with turkey you probably should be making with turkey, but the idea is you're being efficient. Right. Uh, as a good marketer should, you should be efficient with your content, uh, and you're you're uh, you're using um, you're you're 
you're getting more life out of that turkey than just on Thanksgiving. It's fueling your 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 dining habits for the next 30 days. Uh, you know, a good piece of content, a big rock piece of content, could fuel um, a demand gen or content or social strategy up to uh, up to a quarter, easily a quarter, and sometimes up to a year. Um, and you know, it's funny because I was a content marketing world a couple of years ago, and somebody came up to me and they said, "Hey, man." Uh, I really love the big rock content pieces, the, the definitive guides or sophisticated marketers guides you're creating. He says, but there's too much, there's too much value there. And I'm like, uh, you know, I thought, are you out of your mind? What marketers ever downloaded a piece of content and said there's too much value here? I'd like to give this back. You know, and I think he had that short-sighted view that that's a huge uh, gated piece of content, um, but we're going to slice and dice that thing into 50 other assets. And those are the tentacles out there, right? Those are the ungated assets that are going to uh, kind of follow the market around and be in the right place at the right time and pull them back to the home base, the mothership of the big rock, if you will. The mothership of the big rock. I'm totally, that sounds like it should be a band name, actually. The, uh, but, uh, okay, I'll take that off, off to the side. Um, one of the things that I've noticed uh, uh, as a marketer myself, and I'm, I'm curious on your standpoint here, content marketing used to be sort of an ancillary role that maybe some other marketer would play as part of their uh, responsibilities. And now the content marketing team is starting to really evolve into something more sophisticated than that. So can you talk a little bit about the evolution of content as a, uh, as a role or as a department and what sorts of team coordination responsibilities or roles you see evolving in this space? Yeah, uh, you know, Ann Hanley, uh, I was just listening to a podcast where Ann Hanley was talking about that, and um, she was talking about how uh, how it's everyone's job uh, as a marketer to be a content creator, right? So I think that's where it's at now. But where I see it, you know, the way I view this is I call it the, and I write about this in the book a lot, uh, the, the hybrid marketer, the renaissance marketer, if you will, right? So um, it, it, I, what I've learned over the past few years is you don't have to be an expert in any one thing, right? You, so I'm not an expert in SEO, but I understand how SEO plays a role in the content and social. I'm not an expert in demand gen, but I understand how demand gen uh, works with content and, and SEO and PR and, and um, you know, email marketing. All that. So, uh, again, I don't think you need to be a content marketing expert. I think you need to understand – I think you need to, to be uh, able to tell a story. I think you need to be interesting. I think you need to be uh, a little bit funny. You have to have a sense of humor, and you have to be a damn good writer. If you got that, then I would move on to, um, you know, to understanding demand gen, email marketing, content, social, uh, and, and PR, how that ties into PR as well. Uh, and then also, you know, I, I took a bunch of coding classes last year because I wanted to understand how the Internet actually uh, delivers my content, how it reads my content. And I took some CSS classes to understand how, um, how the web actually designs, how I can, how I can uh, design my content to show up better and, and be more interactive and um, just more fluid across the three-screen experiences, we call it. But, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, if you're a one-dimensional marketer, uh, you're not going to be along, you're not going to be around very much longer. I think that's a great point. And you hit on content creation, which is a perfect opportunity for us to introduce one of the sponsors that helps make content pros happen, and that's Proof HQ. So one of the trickiest parts of content creation is approvals and edits. You go back and forth. There's all kinds of people weighing in. They say, make the logo bigger, make that pop. Is this the best photo we have? Things that may not add the most value. But you can kill all that drama with Proof HQ. It's a slick web-based system that allows everyone on your team to instantly collaborate on content executions. You can work together on blog posts, ebooks, slide shares, infographics, and more. You'll be more productive and more creative when you use Proof HQ. You can check it out at bit.ly slash proof HQ. So, Jason, we've talked a lot about various 
content executions when we've seen each other at, at events, which happens a couple times a year. But I'm curious where you stand on quality versus quantity. And by that, I mean the bigger, harder to produce pieces, what you uh, termed big rock content or home run content, as some people say. How do you try to balance creating those pieces with something that's a little more digestible and the smaller pieces of content that people are talking about and giving you feedback that they wanted more of that? Yeah, uh, that, that's a great question. And uh, again, something that comes up all the time and, and it's very simple, right? So uh, are you, are, as a content marketer, your job is to answer um, you know, customers and prospects pain points and questions and answer them better than anyone else, right? And then optimize that content so that it has the best chance of being found and then pay to promote that content. Very simple. That's, that's content marketing to me in a nutshell, right? But um, I, I think, you know, finding that balance between the big rock, which I say uh, is, is like this huge all-encompassing book, like moving, if, if you want to own a conversation out there, you, you, write the, you write the damn book on it, right? So moving from uh, the cliche of, of thinking like a publisher to actually publishing like a publisher. Publishers own conversations, and they publish books to own that conversation, and they don't repeat themselves. There's, there's very little overlap between single publishers, right? I learned that very quickly when they um, denied <laughs> Denied, uh, denied. Welcome to the funnel, and I had to go the self-publishing route. But don't get me started on that conversation. Anyway, uh, so the big rock. I am for one big rock per quarter, which is uh, something very substantial that we will repurpose into many different assets and fuel content and demand and social for quite uh, quite a while. But during the meantime, we use uh, what we call the blogging food groups approach, which is you know kind of day-to-day content, uh, the always-on strategy, right? So you need that big anchor piece, the content mothership, if you will, but you also need some sort of always-on strategy. But don't, you know, you have to ask yourself, are you, are you creating a piece of content with, that's going to, uh, you know, serve a purpose, or you create a piece of content to inflate your ego, right? Are you writing about something because you want to write about it, or are you writing about something because it's going to solve a, uh, a question or answer a question or solve a pain point? It's a big differentiator there, and, you know, the search engines have killed the content farms. Uh, so we, we can't all be HubSpot, and, and they do a great job with pumping out a lot of content, but the answer is not more content. It's more relevant content, so cut through the chase. Uh, and get down to uh, the core relevancy uh, with your customers and prospects, and you'll be a lot better and a lot more efficient. I'd love to press on that point a little bit because one of the things that I hear all the time when uh, we all get on the pulpit of content marketing and, and preach our gospel is really the idea of making sure we create great relevant content that addresses our customers' pain points. So. My follow-up question to that is, how do we do that? A, how do we find out what our customers' pain points are? And B, what really embodies it? Let's, let's presume I know what question I'm answering. How do I make that content great? What defines truly great content? That, uh, that's a great question. And, and again, you know, um, I think it comes down to the, 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 the I, don't, I don't want to use the term big data, but I mean, a little bit of a little bit of keyword research, a little bit of competitive keyword research to find to to lay down a foundation of, of topics uh, and figure out what the conversations are going on, right? Then you find the pain points. But the data and the questions and the conversations are all out there. You just need to find the ones that are relevant to your brand that will drive traffic and actually, uh, you know, you can create content around to match those needs. It's it's there's really no more guesswork uh, with all with all the tools out there. There's several tools out there to do some like keyword research to find these conversations, do some social social listening. But you know, and, and then once you do that, you can start to build these personas. Uh, there, there's a really interesting story. I, I always bring, go back to this, the movie Blue Jasmine. Have you guys seen Blue Jasmine? I don't think I don't think so. I know of it, but I don't think I've seen it. It's a Woody Allen movie, uh, and and Kate Blanchett. 
plays, uh, she plays the role of a broken down socialite, very similar to, you know, uh, Bernie Madoff's uh, widow, right, uh, during the financial crisis of, of uh, 2008-2009. And the movie is, is one of my favorite movies, but th what's really interesting about this is how she prepared for her role. And I think content marketers could learn a lot from this. So not, she didn't just come up with a persona, uh, you know, as we do and throw it up on a PowerPoint slide and base her, um, base her, her acting off of that, nor did she just watch a, a, an episode of 60 Minutes with Bernie Madoff's uh, widow. What she did was she was actually, during the filming of, of the movie, she was, uh, right before the filming of the movie, she was on Broadway in a play in New York, and in between, um, in between shows, she would literally go to where these broken down socialites would, would hang out in the Upper East Side of New York, and she would sit there in the bar, and she would drink what they're drinking, and she would observe them, and she would just kind of, you know, eavesdrop, ear hustle their conversations. But she puts her, she immersed herself into this role, into, the, into that persona. And what happened? Well, she delivered, a, 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 you know, an Oscar. She won the Oscar for that performance, for her, for her portrayal of a broken down socialite. And I think, um, you know, it, it, not to sound cheesy, but I mean, you know, it's up, for, it's, it's up to us content marketers to win that Oscar for, for best piece of content by truly going beyond the persona and actually living and, and breathing inside our customers' experiences. Uh, that's, when I was at Marketo, if I, that's how I got so, um, so good at, at blogging so quickly, was I had a problem, I researched the hell out of it, and I wrote about it. If I, I as a marketer, could solve my own problem and share it with other marketers who have that problem, I become a trusted source. And I did that again and again and again, and I became obsessed with it. Uh, and I think that's truly at the core of content. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's about going beyond that persona. Uh, and the conversations, as I said, are, are all out there. It's, it's whether or not you have the, uh, um, the time and the means to harness that into some sort of actionable insight. I love that example. I, I think it's so true because we view personas as – kind of this rigorous thing we do as marketers, right? Like, oh, we have to come up with all the people who consume our content. But if you look at it from an actress role like that, you know, assuming she's at the bar, we're getting to know people. I think that's really great. And that can help produce successful content. But how do you define successful content? What metrics are you looking at? What results do you want? And what business goals are you tying that to so that you can be the most efficient content team you can be? Uh, great question. And again, as a, as, a, as a marketer in 2015, there's no excuses for not measuring your content results anymore, um, whether or not using market automation, whether or not using, you know, uh, some sort of marketing software. As long as you're tagging your content um, by source and, uh, and, and you're, you're gating it at the appropriate places, the, the content purists will tell you, don't gate top of funnel content. I will tell you to gate content based on its value, plain and simple, right? If, if your piece of content is worth an email address, ask for it, right? There's, uh, there's times and places to, uh, to do some top of funnel ungated content. Turkey slices uh, from a big rock piece of content is a great example of that. But um, yeah, you know, if you, if you can't source, if you can't figure out where, who's, who's consuming your content, what channels they're coming from, and whether or not they're being converted into MQLs, into pipeline, into closed revenue, uh, then, then you're, <laughs> you're simply behind the times. Uh, and, 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 you know, that's, you're not going to be able to move marketing from a cost center to a revenue driver. And I think that's, uh, that's where we all should be, you know, again, not to sound cliched, but, you know, getting uh, marketers a seat at the revenue table uh, it should be the goal of every marketer from now on uh, into the future. 
Um, I love that you. I love that you said that for a couple of reasons. One, because I'm super, super passionate about making sure that uh, there's measurement and accountability in content. Um, and also, you teed me up beautifully to thank our other content pro sponsor, Inbound Writer, because most blog posts and articles fail to drive much, if any, traffic to your website. So, wouldn't it be great to know how good or bad your content will perform before you write it? Inbound Writer does that by forecasting how your content will perform based on real-time analysis of your site your competition, and search engine behaviors. Inbound Writer tells you which topics will work, which won't, and why, removing the guesswork from content creation, increasing traffic, and decreasing wasted time. Visit inboundwriter.com to learn more. So Jason, I feel like content marketing has changed quite dramatically in the last few years from something that was sort of like a cute, um, gee, that's really, that's really something we ought to try to sort of a cornerstone of a lot of marketing, modern marketing strategy. What, what do you think has changed about content in the last few years? And what do we need to keep an eye out for this year and beyond? Uh, and where do you think content marketing as a discipline is going? Uh, I think, I think it's moving towards, I think it's, a, you know, I, I kind of, you know, specialize in the world of B2B marketing, even though uh, I have a B2C background, but uh, I think we're moving towards this full funnel approach, right? I think, um, there's a lot that, that B2C can learn from B2B and vice versa. And what I mean by that is that B2C, and people always get pissed when I say this, right, that, that B2C marketers are better than B2B marketers. Well, I, I think they've always been better at certain things. Uh, B2C marketers know how to connect emotionally. They know how to communicate better. They know how to engage better. But B2B, B2B marketers have uh, the technology uh, to build these relationships and keep these relationships ongoing, right? So I think, um, you know, B2C can teach B2B how to connect better, how to, uh, how to tell better stories and, and connect emotionally, uh, while B2B can show B2C uh, beyond that one quick, that one and done sale to build these, uh, build these longer engagements, these longer kind of um, um, what's it, relationships uh, with the customers that they need to do to keep that cross-sell and upsell going. So there's, I, think, I think you're going to see a lot of that coming together and a lot of the flip-flop there. But um, other than that, full funnel marketing for B2B marketers, I think is, is going to be the next big thing. Actually, being able to track uh, anonymous users as they come to your site, nurture them through different streams, and track that revenue and deliver content all the way through the funnel. I think we talk about it a lot, but I don't think we're very good at it um, and as, a, <laughs> as a whole. Uh, but I think this is the year that's going to shine through. And then uh, my last point is just you know, B2B marketers taking mobile seriously and, and making sure that the, uh, their content experience is optimized for that third screen. We talk about it here at LinkedIn. It's called, we call it from coffee to couch. And from our own data, what we found was, um, you know, from the three devices, the tablet, the, the, the desktop, and the mobile device, you see them all three spike in the morning as we wake up, right? And then you see desktop kind of peak in the afternoon as it should because we're at work. And then you see tablets, tablet spike uh, in the evening. Um, and this, these are visits to LinkedIn. Uh, and we call that from coffee to couch. But what you see uh, on, like, which is consistent all day long is the mobile device because we can't put these damn things down, right? And, and the latest research I saw is that we're checking these things every six seconds, which is insane. But it just goes to show, uh, and I think B2B marketers need to really uh, take this very seriously, that, you know, as we do move towards this full funnel and engagement across these three screens, it has to be a, uh, a really good experience for the end user. And that content has to, um, has to resonate uh, or has to, has to be, be um, optimized for each of the screens so it's a, a, a very similar experience and a pleasant experience for the consumer. 
I love that. And I was making sure I had my phone in my pocket as you were saying that. I was like, hey, this is more than six seconds. I haven't looked at my phone. So try to offset that a little today. Uh, so one thing you talk about in your book, which I think is really interesting, the similarities between how rock bands approach building fans, growing their fans, getting longevity, everything that they do to be successful to content. So what can a content marketer learn from rock music or any rock band in particular? Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting because I was coming back from photographing uh, KISS, right, in, in Vegas or somewhere. Um, I photographed them a couple of times. And KISS, is, what's remarkable about, about KISS is they love their audience. They know how to make that community feel great. And, uh, I mean, Paul Stanley will literally you're, – you're, I'm two feet from Paul Stanley, and he will literally point his guitar at you almost and stare at your camera and almost kind of give you this look like, did you get it? You know, <laughs> I mean, it's that – cool they love the cameras and there's not a lot of bands like that like Marilyn Manson will kick the camera out of your out of your hands like it's just funny but um so when I was on the plane I was I was coming back I was a little tired a little maybe a little hungover um this is the parental advisory version right so uh (laughs) as I mentioned before my whole life is a parental advisory but so it hit me on the plane that uh that the kiss is the epitome of a modern marketing team right and so let me bear with me so what you have is you have four guys on stage, all with each individual unique roles, all playing together seamlessly to deliver a beautiful final product uh, as, as, you know, as a record, which could be your big rock piece of content, right? And the singles could be your turkey slices, ungated on the radio, bringing it back to the sale, right? But what you have is these four unique individual members who make up that team. Uh, and I think this is important to call it out because I think marketers need to, uh, to structure their teams like this. So uh, I say that, uh, you know, Paul Stanley is the social guy. He's the front man. He's out there. He's doing his little dance. He's entertaining. Uh, Gene Simmons is the content. He's the, co- he's the core of the band. He writes a lot of the music. He sings a lot of the music. Uh, and then you have, um, you know, Peter Chris or whoever may be playing the drummer role of Peter Chris uh, currently as the SEO laying the foundation, right? Laying the foundation, optimizing the content. But he's in the band. He's working together. He's not siloed off uh, in a different floor somewhere, not communicating. And then finally, you have uh, Mr. Ace Freely or whoever may be playing Ace Freely on guitar as your demand gen, kind of pulling it all together, doing the solos over the top, reaching out. But um, all like that's the core of the marketing team moving forward should be all these people sitting together, SEO, content, social, and demand gen, working together because content fuels social. It fuels demand gen. Demand gen says this is working. We need more of this from content. Uh, social can do some A-B testing. All along, SEO is optimizing. But don't forget Doc McGee, who is the band's manager, uh, as their PR. PR needs to get and needs to sit with the band as well. And, and as, as Doc McGee guides Kiss's vision uh, as the world's hottest band, uh, it's, it's his job to make sure that he's not doing overlap with the other folks, right? There's so many analysts and influencers that the social content folks are talking to that um, that the PR people might be talking to as well, and you don't want to mix up those messages. So they have to be sitting together communicating. No more silos, right? And then finally, the most important thing, the KISS Army. It's the community. As Seth Godin says, if you don't have somebody to consume your content, you don't have anything, right? So uh, they do a great job with the KISS Army of advocating, uh, turning these, these folks into advocates so they talk about the band, so they make them feel special, part of a community, right? I mean, uh, how many people are really nurturing their their fan base uh, or their community uh, as a marketer and making them feel like they're really part of something so that's my kiss analogy and and uh some some people get it some people don't 
Well, it's funny, as a, as a music nerd myself, I completely and totally get it. So now I'm going to geek out and I'm totally going to rip that off with credit when I go to uh, pitch our content stuff internally. So I'm, I'll, I'll give you full credit, but I'm totally using it. <laughs> I got some slides, man. I got some killer slides with like flames and stuff too that, that kind of illustrate it. So let me know if I can help. Well, because flames make everything better. So that's awesome. I'm totally, I'll take your comment. Um, so one of the things that we love to ask our guests just for fun is to take you totally off the content track for a second and ask you what what did you really want to be when you grew up uh well you know i, I mean i don't think it's any surprise to anybody i wanted to be uh like i wanted to be in a hair metal band <laughs> i wanted to be uh i was a, i was a bass player in a hair metal band and, and a very quick story why i'm not in a hair metal band anymore well obviously nirvana we can thank them for that killing off that genre and making us all wear, you know, flannel and get a little bit angrier in the 90s. But um, the, the real problem came because uh, I was trying to balance the rock and roll lifestyle of a heavy metal band uh, and then going to college and trying to graduate, which is a nightmare in itself for me. Um, but we played a show. Uh, we were opening, we were, we were playing a show in St. Louis and we had um, Mercury Records was coming out to see us play. And we needed an opening band, so we asked our friends, uh, they were called the Love Hogs. Uh, we asked our friends band to open up for us. And so what happened, uh, true story, Mercury Records came out, saw the opening band, offered them a development deal, and left before we came on stage. And that was the final blow. So, uh, so I quit the band. <laughs> oh, that's so tragic. <laughs> yeah, I quit the band and finished college and then uh, went into the music industry and lived vicariously through other artists. Uh, <laughs> way, to, way to end on a downer, man. <laughs> yeah, really, that, was, that was awesome, though. I love that. Yeah, now I have to wrap that up and be positive. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, look, look at where we're all at today, right? So uh, I, I've never been happy with my career. I, sometimes I look back and I think, how the hell did I get here? Um, and and it's, I think it's just a mix-up of, of, of just, you know, my passion for rock and my, uh, my, my need to learn as much as I possibly can about being a good marketer. Well, that's great. Thanks so much for your time today, Jason. We're going to make sure that on the blog post and on the visual note-taking we do for this podcast, we have a picture of you and your hair metal band. That's when, one agreement <laughs> I will make to all the listeners of the podcast. So thanks, everyone, for joining another episode of Content Pros. We've had Jason Miller from LinkedIn today, my co-host Amber Naslin from Sysimos. I'm Chris Moody from Oracle Marketing Cloud. You can check out more episodes at contentprospodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Oracle Marketing Cloud, Sysimos, Proof HQ, and Inbound Writer, and is produced by Convince and Convert. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts.